0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Hooded What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class, with me, your host, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books. Disclaimer The Hooded What Now podcast uses colorful language, swear words, cuss words and curse words now if you do not feel that language is appropriate you have my permission to piss right off you don't have to listen to my podcast you don't have to this is the way i speak this is the way i would chat to my friends if you don't like that you don't have to listen see here's what happened i got an email from someone going a request before reviewing and they're probably getting like put me down to zero stars or something because um they wanted me to drop the f-bomb less because they don't allow that word to float around their house you know what that's your prerogative don't listen to me just don't go away like this is not something you are allowed to have input in if i was using you know derogatory terms or um ableist, bigoted language, then I could completely understand being critiqued. But you don't get to have a say in this. Like, I had someone say that, you know, they thought the fact that I used the word fuck and shagging on the the Chanel episode, that it was highly inappropriate. And all I keep thinking is, this was a story about a fascist and a Nazi and a Nazi collaborator who got off scot-free who had sex with high-ranking Nazi officials so that she could steal the livelihoods and or destroy and end the lives of her business partners. And the takeaway from that whole thing was the wording. The wording. The fact that I used the words fuck. Well, you know what? If the words fuck and shit and bollocks and shag are a worse offence to you than blatant anti-semitism and fascism and the murder of innocent people, then I don't know what to tell you other than you clearly need to sort out your priorities because if curse words are worse to you Than the murder of innocent people. There is something wrong with your brain. There is something wrong with you. Because on this podcast. I have described horrific details. I have talked about murders. Assaults. Abuse. I have talked about the intimate details. Of a six year old's assault and murder. To the point where I cried. And struggle to make the episode. But the word fuck is the issue. Like you don't mind hearing those details. But the word fuck is offensive. Fuck the fuck off. No. It's actually really funny because. I think I've told the crow story before. Because this just shows you how I am as a person. 5 a.m. I'm bunking in my kids' room. I'm in the trundle in the kids' room because they're, they're struggling to sleep and they want me near them. And so I'm there and I hear this. And I'm like, what the fuck is this noise? It's a banging. It seems like someone's trying to break in the window. And like, and I'm like looking at the bathroom because that's where the noise is coming from. And there's a fucking crow. There's a crow banging on the window. And my mum's like, oh yeah, if you don't leave food out for the crow, then it will bang on the window at five o'clock every morning. Which is why we have to leave offerings for the crow every day. Every night, I should say. Because otherwise, we're fucked, basically. So I go outside, in my 5am exhausted state, swing open the door, point at this crow, which just stops and stares right at me, and I go, fucking naw." Like, because that's how I speak. (laughs) In other news, I was sent, I don't even know if I mentioned this last week, I got sent the most amazing Valentine's card. It was like handmade and the worst part was I laughed at my own joke for a solid eight minutes because on the front of the card it said Valentine, you have great facts and even greater tits. So it's my own joke. And I found it hilarious, and there's like a fan letter inside, and there's these two little, um, they look like the cards you used to get in like, the sweets that, the candy cigarettes, like it looks like those. So one was like, I think it's Big Bird, Sesame Street, Be My Valentine, and the other is Marie Curie, and it says my heart radiates for you, and I... Oh, it just sent me. I was crying. It was so fucking glorious. I love it so much. It's amazing. I love it so much. I'm actually going to frame it. And it's going to go up with my like collection of stuff. I have these. I have some things that I frame and I put up in my room. I've got the the Irish pride stamps. I got them up. I've got work from like Belfast-based artists. I have a pirate stamp from when I completed this pirate escape room and it had like a wax seal which is just the best thing ever. I have a um like a folio print of, of the Tempest which is one of my favourite um Shakespeare plays and I have back when I had my comic book store I had these um tickets made up for a very first cinema showing that I did for for like loyal customers we used to do these special events. And I have my first ones that I had from that way back then. And um, I think I've got like a, a Captain Marvel thing and some like local artwork. And then that's just, it's just fun. So it's going to go up there with that. And then once I get like a proper like pod space, a pod loft or shed or whatever the hell it's going to be. um, I'm going to start putting stuff up in there because it's amazing. I'm just, I love it so much. Oh, oh, and, and merch. Should be here by the end of the week, now that I've got everything sorted. So, marriage is officially, finally coming. Only took me forever to do. But I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, quit that jibber-jabber. In fact, me. In fact, you I will. But first, we've got to get our source on. Our sources are, Trail by Impotence by Pierre Darmont. Impotence Trials in Pre-Revolutionary France by Je Gens Trial by Public Performance by R. Winters Behind Closed Doors Impotence Trials and the Trans-Historical Right to Marital Privacy by Stephanie B. Hoffman Are you sitting comfortably? Good. Then let's begin. It is February, the month of love. And of course... Because it is the month of romance. I was thinking, what would be a good topic to discuss? Like, could I? I was trying to think of like really great love stories. And the only one I could think of was Julie Daubigny, La And I've already covered her on a, on a previous episode. So go listen to that. And then I thought, you know, every other sort of great love story I find is very patriarchal. Or ends with one or both dying in a horrific way. You know, there was no, like, nice one. And I was like, you know, let's just go the opposite route. Instead of talking about great love, let's talk about things falling apart. Because I can. Because it's my podcast and I'll do what I want to. Do what I want to. So, divorce. I mean, I am a child of divorce. So maybe... They went not subconsciously push me to here. Huh. Whom's to say? Anyway, let's get divorced. But not now, because that's too easy. We sign some paperwork, we glare at each other across a courtroom, and we go our separate ways. Now, it sounds as if I've been divorced. I have not. I haven't even been married. I've never made it to that stage. I've been engaged. Too many times. And... Never really made it to the altar. Like, it that never happened. Maybe that's why I eat so many lemons. Because I am so bitter. Getting divorced back in the day. Pretty hard. Pretty tough to do. Excuse the pun. And especially the further back you go. When you get to like the late 1300s, early 1400s. All the way up until the 17th century. Like separating and marriages dissolving was really fucking hard to do. So it all comes back to the church. Are we surprised? No. Because it's the olden times. Medieval times to be exact. Not the restaurant, which I've never been to. I'm not really keen on turkey legs, but I still feel like I should go to one at some point for the lols. So we're mainly going to focus, like, starting from the 1400s and we're going to be in both England and France. Now, I've spoken about France and the impotence trials before on um, TikTok and Instagram because I'm obsessed with this idea. It's, it's, I can't help myself. It's just weird and creepy and I'm kind of into it. Like, not as a voyeur. To clarify, I find this little cultural bubble, this specific incident within this time frame, to be fascinating. I'm not a creepy weirdo, I promise. I mean, I am a creepy weirdo, but not for that. For many other things. Awful, awful twisted things, but not that. So this whole situation starts because of church laws from the 13th century. So basically... English and French laws at the time were fairly similar. Probably because they had the same sort of rulers. So, they all came under canon law. So, the rules of the Roman Catholic Church. It's all Catholicism. It's all their rules. Now, remember, this is the past. And this is based on 13th century Christian laws. Right? So, under these rules, marriage was seen as between a man and a woman, and was monogamous. So, him, her, nobody else. Uh Uh-uh. Nothing. Just the two of them, nobody else. So under this rule, cheating is a no-no. No No extramarital affairs by either party. Uh Uh-uh. So the second rule was that once a Christian marriage was, like, fully formed, it could not be dissolved if either of the parties were still alive. So basically, Once the marriage was consummated, once they boinked, shagged, screwed, did the deed, knocked boots, and other such euphemisms, then it was a solid marriage, and they had to wait for one of them to croak it before they could remarry. The third rule was that close relatives could not marry. So this could be like brother, sister, father, daughter... Or even, depending on how it was seen, brother-in-law, sister-in-law. Kind of like, well, uh, Henry VIII uses this at some point because he basically says that because when he's trying to, like, get rid of Catherine of Aragon, right, he's trying to chuck Catalina, he's not happy, once they're gone. So what he does is he tries to use this kind of logic, church logic. By saying that their marriage wasn't valid because she was his sister-in-law, his brother's widow. And as such, under the eyes of God, their marriage wasn't valid. However, they did get a papal dispensation, which allowed them to marry, which sort of circumvented that rule. But yeah, I know, swings and roundabouts in it. The fourth rule was that once a marriage was fully formed, again, consummated that that marriage was now a sacrament of the church. So there's like what, seven sacraments in total? I'm trying to remember now. Like a good... I went to Catholic school. Give me a minute. I also went to Sunday school. I used to collect those saints cards, like Pokemon cards. Why do you know so much about theology, Katie? Well, I'll give you three fucking guesses. The seven sacraments are baptism, or christening, communion, Confirmation, marriage, last rites, There's going to be more, what'd I miss? There's the sacrament of penance which is basically confession, contrition, satisfaction. So you do your penance, you do your five Hail Marys and an Our Father, congratulations. And then the other one I think is, I want to say Holy Orders? Anointing the sick, I think, also comes under last rites, right? It's been a while, okay? It's been a while since I've had to do any Catholic stuff. Roman Catholic, the OG kind. Woo, woo, woo. It's always really funny, though, because, like, my dad's side are Jewish and my mum's side are, like, Roman Catholic. So you get the Old Testament and the Old Testament with DLC. Downloadable content. And yeah, so marriage is one of the, the sacraments. And so this would be, like, the 1200s, so we're talking Henry III, probably-ish, round about this era. And he's part of the Plantagenet line, so he's from Eleanor of Aquitaine, right? Who also had her marriage annulled, lest we forget. uh, Because they got annulled because apparently the daughters, the two daughters she had with her husband, does not an actual marriage make. Even though she wanted to, like, get rid of him for years, it took him pushing it. But go listen to the episode, Eleanor's a badass, go listen to her. So by the time these 13th century rules come around, marriage is indissoluble. You cannot dissolve it. It's, it is what it is. You're stuck there, pal. Don't know what to tell you. Like, effectively, divorce isn't really a thing because France and England at this point are just super Catholic. And because of the way things worked, you basically ended up with two forms of divorce. The first of which was dissolving the marriage, annulment as if it never happened. Go live your lives, right? The second was more akin to like a separation. So they could separate, but they certainly couldn't remarry. Like it just wasn't an option. Like one of them had to die before the other could remarry. So, like, if you got divorced and you didn't get permission to remarry and you then remarried, it would be seen as adultery. And, like, if you're a woman, you're going to get fucking stoned and shit. Well, maybe not stoned in medieval France. But, like, things wouldn't work out well for you, shall we say. And so, if you've got an abusive husband or he's just, like, I don't know, really boring or you're not happy with your wife, there's no way to, like, escape that other than... I don't know, a carefully coordinated murder that looks like an accident, maybe? Because it was really tough for divorce to happen. But then, of course, there's, you know, the trick up the sleeve, which is the core, one of the core values, really, of Christian marriage, which is procreation. So especially in medieval France, like, sex during marriage wasn't just, like, approved. It was fucking mandatory. Excuse the pun. And like the long and short of it is, it was basically illegal not to have sex with your spouse in medieval France. So if you're married and your marriage does not produce children, it was basically seen like this act against God. Like you were doing something bad. It was a slight against the Almighty because you have not procreated. Which is a really shitty take, regardless of the century you're in. So yeah, it's basically illegal not to have sex with your spouse and not to create children. So what would happen is women who were generally unhappy in a marriage for whatever reason, they would come forward and claim that their husband was impotent and their marriage wasn't consummated and ergo, an annulment was necessary. And they would go forward to these ecclesiastic courts, right? And these ecclesiastic courts would determine whether or not the man was impotent. So they had a couple of tests, right? Because they had to make sure not only that the husband could perform his husbandly duties, but also that the wife had not been, I don't want to say penetrated, but also penetrated. But I am getting ahead of myself. The couple have to go to this ecclesiastic court. So this court run by the church because it's canon law, not common law, right? So church law, which basically was the ruling shed at the time, you know. So there was four main things that happened at these trials. The first, obviously, paperwork. Gotta have that red tape. So they would go through personal documents. So private letters, papers... Prayer books with annotations on them. The whole shebang. They'd collect those and they would peruse them. And to look for evidence of non-consummation within the marriage. The couple would also be interrogated. That's right. They would actually take them into rooms, like separately, and fucking interrogate them to get the information they were looking for. They didn't, like, torture them. But this was, like, a professional interrogation. Like, they had people whose specific job it was to, like, interrogate spouses. Canon law also meant there had to be, like, a decision maker. So there had to be a judge. So one person was making the decision. There wasn't a jury like a common law would have. It wasn't, like, a group of peers. It was one dude. And it was going to be a dude. And the last thing was, like, rules of evidence. Which we're going to get to. So, after all this is sort of done, they've been interrogated. You know, the defendant, the husband, effectively, usually. It was rare to be the woman, but it's generally the man. As they would come into the court, they would have to say their piece. They would have to acknowledge, you know, their accusations. And they would have to testify against it. I'm just going to take a moment to apologise for my voice going because it's it's not great right now. So basically this libel case would be drawn up against the defendant, the husband. And it would have to, you know, accuse him of being, I don't know, frigid, for being physically incapable. And, you know, a bunch of reasons. Like they had to be married a certain amount of time to prove that a long enough period of time had passed. You know. To show, like, we should have conceived by now, or consummated, or however they're playing it. And for the most part, like, the burden of proof fell on the husband to prove that he, you know, had a fully working penis, effectively. Hello everyone, you may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Bruna and you don't recognize me from anything, yet. But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MKUltra? Wait, what? <laughs> anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's you here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is... Join us for some fun, and just see how weird and wacky history can be. So, many, many tests would be done. So, in England, they would bring in what they called honest women to check the penis to make sure that it was, you know, working properly, could get an erection, so on and so forth. And they would report back to the court their findings. And in France, they would generally use sex workers for this. Now, I don't know if honest women is a a phrase for sex workers specifically. If you are a medievalist, please let me know this. Because I couldn't find it. I tried. Google did not work for me. And I don't really have that many medieval books. So, if you know, I would like to be informed. In both courts, like, once you know, it was established that an erection could, you know, occur and then be maintained. The next step was ensuring it could function properly. So they would have to, in a cold, sterile um, courtroom, surrounded by people, they would have to expel bodily fluids. They would have to masturbate well being watched and ensure ejaculation. Now this may surprise you, gentle listeners, but unless you're into voyeurism, unless you like being watched, that level of pressure and that amount of people watching you unless unless you are very much into that sort of thing, chances are those husbands would be going not coming. Not at all. Needless to say, during these impotence trials, the success rate was very, very low. Most males were not able to pass this test, and ergo, their marriages were annulled. Some would be done then and there, but then others would have the opportunity to perform a trial by Congress. Which is just as bad as you think it is. But for now, let's talk about the women. So, just like pre-marriage, a lot of women, especially noble women, would have to have a gynecological exam to prove that they were pure. And, okay, this is really funny to me, um, because medical science, although not perfect, has come a long way. Biology has, we have learned a few things, but back in the medieval times, there was this belief. That if a woman's hymen was intact, she wouldn't be able to urinate. I I don't know where this came from, but it was a thing. So they would get checked and stuff, and women were expected to hold in their pee. And if they didn't pee, they were virgins. Oh my goodness, I almost forgot about this. Okay, so one thing that would come up in these ecclesiastical courts was sexual positions. So, according to the church, Roman Catholicism, all that jazz, the only appropriate sexual position for consummation in marriage was missionary style. Like, that was how you were supposed to do it, no other way. And so, there was this assumption that if you were in any other position that it would not create, there would be no conception, there would be no fetus, there would be no baby. Like, by putting a wife in a position that would not result in conception was very much seen as fraudulent, like, on the part of the husband. So if he had put her in, like, doggy style or whatever, he was committing fraud because it wasn't going to result in a baby because, again, the purpose of their marriage is to create more little Catholics like that's the purpose so both parties when they were being interrogated would have to intimately discuss their sexual possessions and if they said anything other than missionary they were deducting points but yeah if they weren't using the correct positions if she was able to hold NRP, her pee, and or if he had a flippity-floppity phallus That marriage was dissolved and they could go on with their lives. However, there was another option. If a husband was deemed impotent by the impotence trials, or if he felt slighted enough, he could demand a trial by Congress. Which is basically doing the do in front of a team of experts. Now, I say experts. The couple would be brought to a neutral location where they would have to perform their conjugal duties in front of a team of surgeons, midwives, and priests. No. let's just think about that. Surgeons, fair enough. Midwives, I can get behind. Priests? Priests are the experts on this. Okay. So yeah, they're in this neutral territory. They've both agreed on it. They're there they then get searched because men had been known to, like, sneak in tiny vials of blood and then attempt to hoodwink the court into thinking that they had taken their wife's maidenhead. Like, enough people smuggled it in and were then caught that they had to just do this. So after getting there, being searched, stripped, the estranged couple were then expected to get on a bed and boink, in front of these people. Now, as I said before, the married couple are estranged, and as such, some of these trials by Congress could literally last hours. If you are a sexually active person, I'm just going to let you imagine just how uncomfortable that would be take a moment. It's okay. It's okay. So the men, the surgeons and the priests, they would like be behind this partition, sort of spying, and the midwives would be perched by the pillows. I could only imagine them like shouting, giving tips, tutting and muttering disapprovingly. And so like they're there so they don't miss any piece of the action. So after this goes on for however long it goes on, Like, they check, you know, the sheets to make sure there has been an appropriate expulsion of fluids. Uh Uh-huh. And if a man was deemed just, like, incapable at this point, like, either way, whether it was by the impotence trial itself or by the trial of Congress, he would be seen as, like, a laughingstock. He would be ridiculed. It would have been very much a thing. Now we're going to get into some particular cases. So in 1370 in England, there was a case between Tidia Lampard and John Sanderson. And three honest women have to physically examine John and return back to the court. And they say, and if you don't want to hear descriptions of penises, you might not want to listen to this. So basically it said that his penis was like an empty intestine of mottled skin and it does not have any flesh in it. It doesn't have veins and the middle of its front is totally black. I don't know about you but this does not seem like a a typical description of a penis to me. I'm sorry but this description is just like so much worse. Like that was read aloud in court afterwards, like that's gotta suck and blow. Jeez Okay, so you know they attempt to get it up, so they're you know, they're stroking it and they place it in semen. I'm sorry, but what the actual fuck They thought that like how did they collect it? Oh my god, I'm just having oh no, Oh no, the Rainbow Bright video. Not Rainbow Bright, Rainbow Dash. Oh no, the My Little Pony. Nope. Nope. Don't look it up if you don't know what it is. Don't look up the Rainbow Dash jar. You will be scarred for life. So apparently they have a bowl of sperm for depping. I don't. What? What? What the actual. I'm sorry. They had a bowl. Of baby gravy. For them to slap the schlong in. I just. I thought people were weird now. And I'm not here to yuck anybody's yum. But. Really? Really? A dick dish for depping What? Anyway. Back on point. Back on point. So basically. They tried playing with it. They tried dipping it in the semen saucer and nothing happened. There was no movement. There was no excitement. There was no growth. It wasn't turgid or rigid. It was merely flaccid. And this gets sent back to the court and they're like, yeah, no, um, clearly something's wrong here. There's clearly an issue. And as such, this marriage is annulled because clearly he cannot perform his conjugal duties, I actually really feel bad for for him in this situation because that's not great like that's everybody in town's gonna know that now that's That's a wee shame, oh oh, and also his scrotum, I forgot this bit his scrotum the skin was there, but the actual like balls didn't seem to be there. So there was just like, I don't know, like, you know when you peel the skin off, like, a KFC, and it's just kind of there? Like, I think that's what it's like. It's just kind of there, but nothing in it. Like a deflated balloon, but wrinklier. So yeah, they get this information. That marriage is annulled. So back in 1368, this woman, Catherine Paynell, She takes her husband, Nicholas cantaloupe, to court to another marriage. And so, they call him in, he's supposed to get his physical. He doesn't show up. Like, he gets the heck out a dodge and just scarpers. Like, he disappears. They can't find him. Like, like, I can only assume that he knew it wasn't going to go well for him, and so he just went into hiding. And I mean, I can't really blame him for that because clearly this is not something people want to go through because Catherine's testimony said that when she placed her hands, like, on where her husband's genitalia should be, there wasn't anything there. I think the term she used was, it was as flat as the palm of a man's hand. I don't know, are women's palms not also flat? I don't know. So, there's a theory that Nicholas had congenital adrenal hyperplasia which is basically a condition like since birth that would create a situation where the penis would not fully form or grow. Uh, Effectively, the person would have a micropenis. It's rare but it did occur. Now, there is always the option that perhaps Nicholas was intersex but was raised as a boy or perhaps Nicholas was a trans man. We're not sure, like we don't have the evidence, but it very well could be. Just floating the idea. So those two cases were in England, so now we're gonna move on to France. So in the eighteenth century, the Marquis de Gev was accused by his wife, um the Mademoiselle de Mascranet, that they'd been married for three years, and that the Marquis, like He would not do anything. He would basically lie beside her and do nothing else. And she would like try, but he just was not he would reject her advances of, you know, attempts at intimacy and copulation. So she would, you know, try and arouse him, and he just wasn't having any of it, right? The Mercury, he's brought in, he is examined and they have to check his member. So he has to go through many, many observations and tests. So they're doing all these tests. They're checking the shape, the colour, the number. They were checking how many were there as if they're, I don't know, examining Klingons. Like, are they expecting a double deck situation? Like, okay. He has to undergo all of these tests. And all the evidence has to point to him being able to procreate. Like he has to be able to create more little Catholics. So this ends up as a a win, kinda. But also not. So he's shown to be able to get an erection. Unfortunately for the Marquis, he is unable to maintain an erection. But they have issues more than just the maintaining. They said that the tension, hardness and the duration of which the erection lasted all pointed to him performing poorly. And the Marquis was about to be like retroly embarrassed and be divorced from his wife. Because the courts deemed him impotent. But luckily enough for him, his wife dies suddenly. And so he has saved the embarrassment. I don't know how she dies. I'm hoping it was, you know, a medical thing or... an accident of some kind. But, uh, whom's to say? No, there's a different story for, um... The Marquis de Lange Lange Marquis de Langeais? Lange Oh I'm, it's it's late, clearly I'm not thinking properly. So the Marquis de Langeais, he is um not as lucky as the Marquis de Gevre because it's what a century earlier so the seventeenth century and he's been married for four years and He's accused of being impotent, but unlike Gilles, he was not accused of, like, disinterest sexually. So like he had an interest, but he just wasn't capable. That's the accusation, right? So the married couple are brought in, and they are both examined. So they do all the tests, they check the colour, the rigidity, all that stuff. They try to make her pee, whatever. They bring in the ladies of the night to have some fun with him. And both parties are deemed to be sexually healthy. And that they should be able to procreate. They're basically saying his ghoulies are in tip-top shape. And that the madame was not a virgin. Now, the marquis, he's happy with this so far. But the madame de Langeais... She's not so happy. In fact, she's absolutely livid. She's standing up in court making this trial continue because she's saying he's a harsh lover, so he's rough, and the positions he's putting her in, they're not for procreation. Like, the sex they're having is for his gratification, his pleasure, and not for the manner of of what it's supposed to be, as per canon law which is making babies, right? And at this point, the church is very much on her side because their marriage, after however many years, still has not produced any children. And that's not looking good for him. But if he had just kept his trap shut, like, it could have proceeded and he may have been able to wiggle his way out of it. But his ego was bruised. And as such... He effectively goes fuck this for a game of soldiers I want a trial by Congress he demands a trial by Congress he demands it he's like no I'm gonna prove to you that all my bets work he wanted no he needed to prove that he could in fact procreate that he had the physical capability to do so and then When they actually get round to doing the deed. I mean, maybe it's um, because he was in front of five physicians, five surgeons, and five matrons. No priests in this one, thank Christ. But yeah, he's trying to perform sexually in front of 15 people. Several of which are perched beside him on the pillows. Watching his every move, he can feel their eyes on him. Needless to say, this does not end well. They attempt to do the deed, he does not ejaculate. And his reputation is in tatters. And in a move that surprises absolutely no one, his wife is granted a divorce. So for the Marquis de Langer, he's, you know, I mean, he's ridiculed. His reputation's not great. He has to return his wife's dowry. And to top it all off, he is forbidden to remarry. Because as far as they're concerned, like if you cannot do the deed, you should not get married, right? But he does. He gets remarried anyway. And with his second wife, they end up having, was it seven kids in total? So things didn't work out the worst for him all in all. And, like, it wasn't until, what was it, the late 17th century, early 18th century, that, you know, impotence trials and the trial by Congress really got phased out and disappeared. Like, it started fading in the late 17th and then by the 18th it was very sporadic, if at all. Because, you know, apparently shagging in front of a room of people was just becoming too much of a spectacle. And for France... The country is so open with its sexuality. But there you go. The impotence trials and trial by Congress where it was basically illegal not to shag your spouse. So, what did we learn today? Don't get married in medieval times because that just seems unpleasant for everybody. Two, do not let your bruised ego and your inflated sense of self-importance Put you in a situation where you should have to screw your wife in a room full of people. Unless you're into that sort of thing and everybody consents. Because it's up to you. We We don't judge here. Okay? As long as it's all consenting adults, you have a good time. And thirdly, charge laws are fucking weird, man. Fucking weird. Now, if you liked my telling of the impotence trials which I'm very sorry I've been losing my voice this whole time, probably from the ranting. You can always go and rate and review five stars. Um, Apple Podcasts and on Spotify and wherever you listen to podcasts. Like on Apple, if you write a review, it doesn't matter what you say, as long as you give five stars, you can say anything. You could tell me your favourite Valentine's present you ever got or the funniest card you received or... Valentine's is just a hallmark holiday. Ew, Valentine's is just one day. So is Christmas, bitch. So is your birthday. It's just one day. Why are you celebrating that? Just saying. Just putting it out there. If you like my content and want to support me more, you can always tip me on PayPal. There's a link in the description down below. Uh, You can get some merch, which will be available by the end of this week. Woo 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 woo. And... Yeah, you can follow me on socials and interact with those and, I don't know, share this podcast with people and make them listen to me and rate me because they're awesome and I am awesome and we should all be awesome together, don't you think? Yes. Now, recommendation time. So someone suggested that my recommendations that I do, I should post them on Instagram because when they're driving and listening to the podcast, they don't always catch what I'm, I'm like, sharing so, that's fair, and I'm going to start doing that. For reading, I'm going to recommend Unwell Women by Eleanor Cleghorn. Which is all about the misunderstanding and misinterpretation of, of women's illness throughout, well, whole time. For watching, you know what, I'm going to recommend The Last of Us. I am. Um, it just uh, made me cry. So many human emotions. I can't. And also, Pedro Pascal is amazing. Oh, love him so much. And for listening, I'm going to recommend the new Harley Quinn podcast that's come out. It's voiced by Christina Ricci. It is a retelling of, of the story of Harley and how she became who she was. And it's from her perspective. And it shows that she wasn't just a pawn in this game. She was the one moving the pieces. So yeah, um, that is me. That is everything for today. And there's actually going to be a bitty so this week. First time in a wee while. I think you're going to like that. So if you've made it to the end of this podcast before I go, I just want to say thank you to everybody who listens. Everybody who has listened. Everybody who continues to you know, like DM me on socials. like Share my stuff everybody who's still here, like I really really appreciate you and I want you to know that I am very grateful that you tune in every week, that you download, that you listen and that you like the stories I'm sharing. I'm sorry I've been losing my voice today and it's just been kind of affecting me as well I think. All this is, cannot get a bit much sometimes you know but I, I do want to say thank you and that you all mean so much to me because the fact that you're listening, the fact that you're here, you're just awesome. I love you. All of you. And with that, I shall bid you adieu. Adios. Au revoir. Au revoir. my friends. Bye-bye.